0: Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. Sarah Rob O'Hagan is with us today. She's an executive, an activist, an entrepreneur and the founder of Extreme You. That is the name of her new book, Extreme You, Step Up, Stand Out, Kick Ass, Repeat. Uh, Sarah was uh, led the reinvention and turnaround of Gatorade as its global president. She was also most recently president of Equinox Fitness. So she's had a tremendous amount of experience as a leader in, in organization, several organizations and leading turnarounds, and Extreme You is both a personal and a professional book. It's about kind of how to show up being the best that you can be. So, Sarah, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Sarah, what is an extremer? What are some good examples of extremers?
1: Yeah, so I um, basically took about three years to research and write the book, and, and in that time I interviewed some people that I would call extremers that are some of the most successful people in the world, from all walks of life, from, you know, business like Angela Aarons from Apple to Condoleezza Rice, as former Secretary of State, to Bodie Miller, the downhill skier. So I'm talking all sorts of different um, expertises, if you will. And what I learned from all of them and why that I call them extremers is because they are people that are relentlessly living to the best of their own potential. And what that means is that they've really deeply understood what their – unique sort of skills and passions are and how to keep developing those to make yourself be the best that you can be instead of sort of getting distracted by comparing yourself to others and all those sorts of things.
0: You know, you, you start the book by talking about the importance of not being perfect. And on the other hand, you look at these sort of Condoleezza Rice and Bodie Millers <laughs> who have certainly reached a level of perfection and extreme success that most of us will never be able to achieve. How do you balance those two things?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And what's interesting is I loved when I did the interview with Condoleezza Rice and her first, you know, and I said to her, how does one become the Secretary of State? And she goes, well, I was a failed piano major. And right there is the answer, right, to what is perfection. I think often from the outside, we can perceive these people to be very perfect and to have these like flawless Career journeys, but in every instance, the people that I interviewed, and certainly on a more broader scale of trends I was seeing is that to get to the best of your own capability, there's undoubtedly been things that have gone wrong on the way, mistakes you've made, failures you've overcome, and ultimately resilience that you've built as a result of it. Um, and so, I think every one of the people I spoke to would have said. They don't really consider themselves perfect. You know, it's the worst of the world that makes it look
0: that way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because to to be that successful at something has got to come with a cost, I imagine. Yeah. Right? Yep. I'm curious what, you know, before we even go into the conversation about what are the qualities of these sort of extremers and, and how do we integrate them into our uh, possibly more mundane lives, <laughs> but but what's what's the cost of that kind of success that you saw in the people that you interviewed?
1: Um I would say like the the biggest cost honestly was um the was kind of the having to accept the consequences both good and bad of decisions made. So what I mean by that is that I think in general, the people that don't reach their same level of their own potential and break through in the same way are generally people that didn't want to take the same risks and had a more comfortable path. Whereas those who really, you know, break through and reach their extreme levels of potential have generally had heartache along the way and they have made sacrifices. They've had to, you know, give up everyday things to really focus on their own passion or, you know, mission or whatever it may be. Um, but most importantly, I think they they have suffered, you know, failures and difficulties along the way and pushed through. And that's a very lonely journey, you know, when you when you're doing that. It's not something you can necessarily share when it's your own dream and your own purpose that you're chasing.
0: Well, and you also hear, you know, like Bodie Miller certainly famously has – you know, gotten himself into some trouble uh, in you know both with I believe drugs and alcohol, and you hear you know you hear that about uh, you know you look at I mean maybe I'm just picking out specific people, but you look at like a Britney Spears and a and mm. this 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 kind of success and this kind of sort of extreme focus can be a little overwhelming. Now, even as I say that you know, we all know plenty of people who are not extremers who have problems with drug and alcohol. And so, you know, it's not, it's certainly not <laughs> yes. a, a um, you know, a stressor that is reserved to the most highly successful, but it does seem like the weight of that kind of a focus can be overwhelming.
1: Uh, yes and no. I mean, I would say, you know, w- one thing I think that it's very important to to state is that being an extremer doesn't necessarily mean that you are you know on a world stage <laughs> like driving progress in the media spotlight. Like some of my favorite extremers are actually people that are doing things very quietly behind the scenes in their own way but actually really you know pushing their own potential and pushing themselves to achieve their own personal um, greatness, if you will. So I think I, I would, I want to make sure I was clear that being extremer isn't being quote unquote successful. It's more living at the best potential of what you personally can be. And so to the point you just made, I do think, you know, in life people can get into trouble. They can come across problems like drug and alcohol But I would say the people that I have studied and observed who've gone on to reach their own potential have overcome those and, you know, figured out how to to get back on track with their own life and their own career. So I think, you know, issues like that, are are those problems to overcome or are they part of your journey that helped develop you that you learned from, you know?
0: You talk about five essential qualities of extreme you, right? And these are the things that all of us can... can, um... I think nurture in ourselves in a sense in order to become the best version of ourselves. Could you give, you know, like a just a sentence or two about each one so that people have a sense?
1: Yeah, so um you know it starts with um what I call, you know, openness to experience and that is you know a willingness to to try new things and not be afraid to try new things. I think that's something that I really saw that all of these people had in common is when there's a fork in the road and it's an opportunity that takes you to a scary place, they would say yes, whereas many people would say no, you know. Um, And also maybe being willing to try things that don't even necessarily seem like they're on the straight and linear path to a quote-unquote successful place, but you're willing to just try it to get out of your comfort zone. That was definitely one. Um, Internal drive is another, like uh, the – sort of get up and go that these people have, like they're not really needing other people to necessarily push them, but they have it themselves and they cultivate it in themselves. I don't think drive is something that you're necessarily just born with. I think you can really cultivate it. And, you know, one of the things I studied and learned from these people is how to do that, like by making sure you're sort of setting goals that are achievable, but pushing yourself to get that sense of Fulfillment and you know excitement that comes with the the quote unquote, the win. Um, then I would say there was a big one around grit um, and resilience, you know, in terms of uh, the willingness or at least the capability to push through the tough times. And I think that's probably that trump's talent, I would say, any day, and all of them would have agreed with that, like when things go wrong. You're able to keep pushing yourself through um, to get to your desired end state, and you're able to sort of pivot and not get knocked over by failures, if you will. Um, a personal favourite of mine was uh, the quality I call getting over yourself, but um, of humility and this sort of this stubbornly humble um, ability to to just go through life, no matter how successful you are still recognizing that you can be better, that there are other people in the room that are just as smart, if not smarter than you. And the curiosity, quite honestly, to keep learning and keep growing um, from that, uh, from coming from that perspective. Um, and then the last one is um, around risk taking. And, you know, I think all of these people definitely had a a willingness to take bigger risks, to accept the consequences, like to not look for the safety net that what if it goes wrong? You know, I I, I need to have an out clause, but instead I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to go for it. I recognize that it might fail and I'm going to take that failure and drive on as opposed to being scared of trying at all.
0: And you also talk, you know, in this chapter of check yourself out, of kind of understanding yourself and what your strengths are and what your capabilities are and what, you know, when you talk about Condoleezza Rice being a failed pianist and yet becoming a very successful secretary of state, that that it's kind of understanding what you're particularly suited for that might be different than what your expectations are, or what other people's expectations are of you.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I think that's one of the things that I've really discovered in this journey is, you know, I think today, particularly young kids coming out of college, you know, there's such an expectation, A, that you're going to have a perfect resume, you know, that everything's gone right and there's no screw-ups, and B, that you're going to follow this very linear path to a sort of end goal place. and. What I really learned from this process is that is not how the most successful people get to where they're going. In actual fact, they have many kind of, um, you know, forks in the road where they might go to the side for a little while before they progress forward. Because this process of checking themselves out of trying multiple different things is ultimately adding up to something much more complete. And You know, I give my own personal example. I started my career in the airline industry. Like, I remember spending a a year or so in the revenue management, which was, like, so boring. I wanted to jump out of a building. Yet, who would have thought that that exact experience would be so useful, you know, 25 years later when I'm running an indoor cycling business, bums on seats, but just a different kind of seat, you know? And I think you don't realize that some of the experiences that may feel – boring, they may feel like they're not in service of the ultimate goal where you want to go to actually are adding up to something, and you've just got to be willing to get in there and try them.
0: Um, Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, because a lot of people will say take a career test or personality assessment or have some external advisor tell you what's, Mm -hmm. but you're saying actually just stay curious, and I think that's really hard for people, and I think it's hard for people, you know, one, because we have blind spots. And so mm-hmm. we don't know what we don't see. And, and I'm not a huge fan of personality tests. On the other hand, I think one gift of them is that they may show you something that you don't necessarily see about yourself. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, people struggle with it because I think you know, staying curious and examining your life is very hard for people. Why? Why? And, and actually, probably more importantly than why, what have you seen helps people get to that place of refining their path based on their own curiosity of themselves?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's not necessarily a uh, kind of, you know, I'm going to make a mark in my calendar to sit down and reflect <laughs> and make decisions, but I think it was generally as they were making significant life decisions, they were, you know, purposely looking back on decisions that came before it to understand how to move forward. And if you have experienced a lot of things, and I talk in my book about experiencing the extremes of, you know, incredible success and incredible failure, you are by definition honing your intuition to where you thrive. And I think, again, I shared my personal experience of, you know, I got fired twice in my 20s before I went on to work for Nike, which was an environment I absolutely thrived in. And had I not had both experiences of being in environments that were very tough for me, being in good environments, I wouldn't have had such a strong intuition when assessing job opportunities later in my career. And I think that some, sometimes what people miss is like in this you know, desire to progress as fast as they can, they're not recognizing that actually sometimes the the, the not-so-good experiences are helping to hone your um, intuition and your decision-making for the future.
0: As I listen to you, it occurs to me that you need a tremendous amount of confidence to do what you're talking about. You need the confidence to be fired a couple of times and then get up and keep going, You know what you're calling resilience and grit. Mm. You need the confidence mm. to say, I'm actually going to think about myself and how I can bring myself closer, you, almost an entitlement to say that I deserve to be, you know, in a position that really leverages the best of my skills. The, the idea of the drive and, and even, even the confidence to get over yourself, it feels like mm-hmm. there's this yeah. underlying confidence that's really critical. And I'm curious about, um, you know, for people who might struggle with that kind of self- confidence Mm-hmm. what um what can you what advice can you give for people to kind of develop or grow that underlying foundational skill to being mm. an extremer
1: yeah it's a great question, so I quite passionately believe that it actually starts with great parenting, <laughs> and you know I feel really lucky that I was raised by parents that did not helicopter parent me. They did not give me trophies for showing up to sports. I'm 45 years old. I have still never won a trophy in my life. I'm still trying. <laughs> and my point is how that like plays into confidence is that when you are left to your own devices to basically deal with your own failures and your successes on your own terms, you get the feeling of self-belief that comes with surviving a difficult situation. And so you know, everyone often says that to me now, gosh, you seem so confident. I'm like, well, yeah, when you've been through really difficult situations like being fired and survived it without, you know, someone else backing you up and, you know, getting you out of the ditch, of course, you're going to be more confident. So how do you do it? It it only starts with baby steps. You know, I'm not suggesting that everyone who lacks confidence should sort of throw themselves into a really difficult career <laughs> situation and see what happens. But, Baby steps can be like in any place in your life, you can choose something that puts you out of your comfort zone that you can push through. So I'll give you an example. Like a year ago after I had chosen to quit my job, which was one of the most scary things I'd ever done in my life. I was like, well, what am I going to do to develop a new side of myself? And I went and took music lessons, piano lessons with one of my kids. Unbelievably terrifying to have to be, you know, playing piano in front of an instructor like my fingers were shaking, etc. but getting through it. By the end, you just get this little burst of, wow, I did that. And that then applies to how you feel about other aspects of your life. So confidence building is like, you know, going to the gym and building muscles. It has to be done every single day. You have to it's not something that you just Sort of develop and it's there forever. I, I truly believe you have to keep working on it because things come along in your life that make you feel confident or unconfident and you have to learn to develop the tools to overcome overcome the tough times.
0: So I'm going to ask you kind of a strange question here as I'm listening to you. It's coming to mind and it's it kind of goes a little bit to the core of all of this and it also goes to the core of our of our society and the way in which we sort of tend to focus ourselves, or we tend to be focused with all the media and the self help, et cetera, which is mm-hmm. is it actually really important to be the best that you can be that there's you know it kind of goes back to the cost of it but but there's there's so much emphasis on being the best that you can be and and it occurs mm-hmm. to me that maybe that's not such an important thing it, it may be, but maybe mm-hmm. it's 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 worthwhile to be. You know good enough and and balanced and and not extremely amazing at, at any particular thing but but having a strong foundation of a happy life in whatever way that means, and relaxing and taking vacations and working uh, but not necessarily being the best that you can be and I'm curious to get your perspective on that
1: yeah i th- I think that's a really valid you know, caution or concern. I I definitely think that the world, the cultural landscape we live in today puts such an emphasis on success. That's actually why I shy away from the word success because I think that's it's just a dumb word, like in whose mind. You know, I, I have people tell me all the time, you're so quote-unquote successful, and I'm like, well, that that's what you might think, but to me, I'm learning and growing. I'm still working on things, you know? <laughs> and so I think... I think ultimately, like, being incredibly fulfilled is what we should all pursue. You know, that's the most important thing of all. And that's, to me, what I equate to um, living to your own potential. And that's up to you to define what that looks like, right? But I I definitely agree with you that when we get into a world where everyone's feeling like they just have to, you know, be a leader, run things, be, be... better off than the next person. If that's not what makes you happy, then why would you do it?
0: Right, right. And maybe being the best you can be, I mean, it seems so counterintuitive, especially culturally, but maybe being the best that you can be um, it, for for some people, maybe for many people, isn't actually the right frame. I, I, you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's just something to think about. I mean, and for listeners to think about, is that, you know like there's a gut response that we should all be the best we should all reach our potential and and i guess i'm 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 at least asking the question or suggesting that at least in this check yourself out phase or you know one of the qualities of extreme you is check yourself out to check yourself out with that question to say you know what is important to me and maybe maybe in some ways reaching my potential isn't which seems so you know, certainly countercultural but but it's an important question to ask. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you talk um about in the book, you say that the worst thing is not failure, it's fear. And mm. I think that feels really important and I just wanted you mm. to expand on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I am I'm quite passionate about this topic because I do spend a fair bit of time um, you know, speaking to and mentoring young people coming into the workforce and it it's alarming to me how much of an issue fear has become for the current generation and i hold my generation accountable for creating it because i think that you know if you go and speak to a a room full of college students and say hands up who has a fear of failure every single hand will go up in the room <laughs> and it's like this mortifying fear and I think it is because like, they have been raised with this expectation of perfection, this expectation of perfect grades, perfect extracurriculars, perfect everything. And there's this fear that if I screw up, I'm going to fall down the rung on the ladder and I won't get a job and I won't get this and I won't get that. And it's so... It, it's just so important for me to try and get the word out to younger people starting their careers. And that's why I interviewed, you know, 25 incredibly um, high potential people in the world to, to prove out my theory, which is that you, you have to fail to become like to, to really know who you are at your best. You have to fail. And therefore getting sort of stuck in the middle of the road with fear and just not trying anything at all means that you're, by definition, not developing yourself. Whereas if you take a risk and you fail, even when you fail, as painful as it is in that moment, you are growing so much more and learning so much more than if you didn't. And I think one of the things that young leaders, you know, you don't really get told in your 20s what it's going to feel like in your 40s when you have hundreds if not thousands of people that are reporting to you and you're trying to make giant decisions and you know in tough economic times it is hard and it takes incredible you know uh resilience to do that and if you haven't been what i would call battle tested in terms of knowing how you react to failure and how to process it and move on it's going to be tough for you you know when you get into those um, more high pressure situation. So
0: that makes total sense, and and it's and it's completely rational and it's true. And yet, people f- still feel that fear, and that feels fear mm-hmm. still blocks. And and I guess my yes. question is, you know, what you've seen in the extremers, or what you've seen that helps people develop their resilience to fear, or have the people you interviewed just naturally, you know, either because of parenting or because of you know, that's their personality and constitution, um, have a higher threshold for failure? Or is there something, you know, aside from what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is take little risks and fail in little ways and then see that you've survived Mm -hmm. it and then go to bigger ones. You know, is there something else that can help people who are listening um, develop their strength and grit in the face of their fear?
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think it, it... Without question, it comes with experience like for sure, at least all the research I've done is like you you can't go to college and take a paper on how to overcome fear or how to deal with failure. You actually just have to do it, but I do think it starts with um, you know taking small risks and seeing how they go and dealing with them um, but I also like one technique that I personally have used a lot that I um, sort of talk about in my book is playing this game that I call, you know, what's the worst that can happen. So, you know, when you're making giant decisions and you're really scared of them and it's going to hold you back from making them like really think through what's the worst that can possibly happen. And more often than not, you're going to get to realizing that you can recover from it. I mean, I can think of countless times when, you know, in my case, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? I could lose my job. I could be deported. I can you know, go way down the list of how bad this could be. But actually, you get to the end point, and you're like, well, if all that happens, I still have my health. I have my family. I have all these great things. And by the way, I have an, a bunch of capabilities that are imminently hireable, and I'm going to be able to get on with it and find another job. It's like, if you play that out, you almost can... can Get control of the fears that are often stories you're telling yourself as opposed to realities.
0: I love it. So, um, you know, as a final question, how has your life been impacted by this book? How has it changed mm-hmm. how you approach your life based on all these interviews and everything that you discovered in the three years of writing the book?
1: Yeah, hugely. <laughs> More than I expected, actually. Like, I feel like um, what it has helped me to do is. You know, understand uh, a methodology that I can that that I can sort of guide myself back to when I'm making decisions and when I'm trying to understand how I want to go about being a leader. And because I think a lot of things that I had experienced in my life, uh, or techniques I was using, I've learned from other people, but I've never had never taken the time to really do the research to understand why something works. And now that I have, I think I just feel so much more, um, what's the word? I I feel like I I choose or I want to hold myself more accountable to a higher standard of, you know, helping to develop others with these amazing insights that I have learned, because I feel like it was an amazing gift to get to interview these incredible people and hear their stories. And, And it's definitely great wisdom that I want to share.
0: Well, thank you for sharing it. Sarah Rob O'Hagan, her book is Extreme You, Step Up, Stand Out, Kick Ass, Repeat. It's been a pleasure having you on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for being on, Sarah.
1: My pleasure.
0: hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.